following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Donna, this week, um, I don't know how this always seems to work this way, uh, but there's no jealousy involved. I promise you. There's, there's no jealousy involved, but... But I got, I got a text message and a phone call, which I missed um, the first time around, that, that she had um, shot this big deer uh, on, on Thursday night. And uh, like I said, it was, it was in the evening, and in the evening it's always a little bit different when you go to trail a deer. Uh, and I can tell you that, that going to trail deer after dark always includes one scenario. And I wish that scenario that it always included was a successful end to following that trail. Unfortunately, that's not always what takes place. So that's not what's always the same. Unfortunately, what always is the same, I say kind of unfortunately in our home, um, is because we have two young ones who love to go and, um, and trail these deer with us, right, Addison? They especially love it when they get out, can maybe get out of school to do that. Um, so evenings maybe aren't quite as nice, but because of that added element to our evening, there is one thing that is always going to happen in that instance where you're going out after dark, and it's this. The, the fancy way, the, the, the proper way, and the completely inaccurate way of labeling this would be a competition which looks much more like an argument for the best light, all right? Donna and I rarely have the best lights because they have the best lights, and then they fight over who gets the best light. It's, it, it happens almost every time, all right? Let me tell you something. There's a reason for that. When darkness is a part of the equation, okay, is light a luxury or is it a necessity? Think about that for a moment. We're going to be looking today at Matthew chapter 5. And what we find in Matthew chapter 5, first of all, is very early moments in Jesus, his ministry. He had just recently called his apostles, his disciples, to follow him. It is very early in this. And, and what we find in Matthew chapter 5 specifically through 5 through chapter 7, is what has been labeled the Sermon on the Mount. And it's probably Jesus' most well-known sermon. Although Jesus has some well-known things that he said, this might quite possibly be the most well-known. I'm going to tell you something. Just listening to it is powerful. I can remember in Life of, Life of Christ class so many years ago when I was in college, and our teacher was man by the name of Mark Moore, let me tell you right now, you ever have the opportunity to hear Mark Moore preach or teach, jump on it, all right? But this is interesting. As good as those Life of Christ classes were, um, probably the one I remember most is when he didn't teach at all. He simply came to class and he quoted for us from memory the Sermon on the Mount. And it was There were tears shed. There were audible, like, going on. And it had nothing to do with Mark Moore's ability to memorize three chapters in the Bible. This is a guy, when he was in college, he memorized 1 Timothy in Greek, okay? So this isn't really that big of a deal. Um, It had more to do with this. It is powerful. And right near the beginning of it, what you see is you see Jesus in his sermon 
talks about light. Look at Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to look at three verses here. And we're really only going to look at one of them very, very closely. And keeping in mind, I'm going to bring us full circle back to this as after I get through reading this. I'm going to read now the New American Standard. It's probably in your Bibles about two, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you're not sure where Matthew's at, find it in your, in your book of contents. It'll put you right in the right place. Get your eyes on it, though. It's important. This is what it says. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone... Light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father is who is in heaven. These next six weeks, we're going to be looking at being, bringing, and building, and I get the privilege of starting, JB, so I get to cherry pick the passages of Scripture. So what do I do? I pick this one. Good luck next week. All right, so... Being a light comes right from the mouth of Jesus. But it's interesting that before we dive into light, first of all, we need to pass the salt. All right, if you look what happens. Do you know those people, by the way? Um, John Nagel was back just for a little bit this week. Um, He and Megan, many of you know, live in South Dakota now. Used to be folks down here. I miss them. I wish they weren't up there. Um, That's life sometimes. And he comes back in November, probably, I don't know why, but he ends up showing up in November. And and spur of the moment, he wanted to go eat lunch this week. So we went and uh, we ate lunch and we ate, he doesn't have El Pablitos in Sioux Falls. Okay, so where does he want to go? El Pablito. So that's where we went. And he had to get his own basket of chips. Not because he eats so many chips, but because he eats a little bit of chips with his salt. All right? And I'm just looking at him just, I mean, take the lid off the thing. Good grief, dude. You know? And I'm like, I was going to kill you. And he's just looking at me like, you know. You probably, maybe you're one of those people. You like your salt. Look, Jesus talks about salt. Of all things, verse 13, this is what he says. You are, before he says anything about light, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes, has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Let me tell you something. Many of you probably know this. Salt cannot lose its taste. It, it, it doesn't. And so before you say, well, Jesus wasn't a chemist. He just didn't understand. We're talking about Jesus here. He knew what he was talking about. It's not that the salt lost its saltiness. The problem is this. Salt cannot lose its saltiness. What it can lose is its purity. Let me tell you something. You want to do great things for God with your life? Then maintaining holiness matters. It sounds almost like Jesus knew that James guy we looked at last week. That James guy, yeah, I think he did know him. He was his half-brother, all right, who wrote the book of James. And, and we looked at that a little, we'll talk a little bit more about that this week. Just if, if, I'll just read it for you if you'd like, but if you want to turn there, keep a finger in Matthew 5, because we're coming right back to it. But over here in James chapter 1, verse 27, James says something somewhat similar, only he's not using quite the metaphor, allegorical words like Jesus used. 
And this is what he says. James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Holiness matters. Holiness means to be set apart. Holiness means to live differently. One might say that James was saying this to keep oneself uncontaminated by the world. Folks, in our desire to do great things for God's kingdom, we must never forget to ask ourselves and each other a series of questions. If this isn't a part of your relationship with those closest to you and Jesus, it needs to become one. This is the question. How am I doing personally in my walk? In my walk with Jesus. Am I continuing to battle temptation? Am am I winning through Jesus and his spirit? You see, salt needs to say, stay salty. Okay? That being said, on to light. You know, I lived in western Kansas for a little while, a little over a year, um, and even after I moved from western Kansas, my, my brother-in-law and my sister continued to be out there for, uh, for a few more years, and right after I graduated from college, I went out to Dodge City, and there's some things I miss about western Kansas. I don't, I don't miss the smell of Dodge City, all right? I don't. I'll tell you that right now, although trust me, after a while, you do get used to it, I, I promise you, and you could wake up in the morning and you knew what direction the wind was coming from by the smell that greeted you as you walked out of your door. So I, I don't really miss that, but there are some things I miss. And maybe the best way to explain this to you is to give you a true story. Um, the, youth, the youth minister out there at Dodge State, the first Christian church at the time, is a guy by the name of Rick Musselman, and he was very good friends with a man who was a highway patrolman. Out there, and every now and then he would go out, and, and this guy had a night shift, and, and Rick would ride with him. And he said most nights were pretty boring, so so his his friend would begin telling him stories, and he told him one particular story about a young man who was driving a Camaro, late '80s Camaro, all right, on a two-lane highway out in the middle of nowhere in Western Kansas. Now you take a Camaro, a young man. After dark, on a highway in western Kansas in the middle of nowhere, and there's one more thing you can probably add to that equation. Speed. (laughs) You're exactly right. So he's cruising along, and as he's cruising along, he sees the lights of a town up ahead of him. Because it's western Kansas. Those lights, they usually build a town up in a little higher place. All right, so at night, you can see for miles and see those lights. And he's like, I don't, am I lost? I really, really don't remember a town up there. And just about that time, he realized that what was in front of him was not lights, but it was his headlights reflecting the eyes of a herd of cows. He didn't even hit the brakes, folks. Didn't have time to. This is what ends up happening. Um, A late 80s Camaro could probably be best described as, as a doorstop on wheels. Okay, and I don't mean the kind that's attached to the door that folds down. I'm talking about the kind you shove underneath the door. It's like, it's like 
It's like a, it's like a, like a chunk of cheese on wheels, all right? So, so he goes into this, he goes into, walked away from it without a scratch. He goes into this herd, and cows are, they, they're just flying, okay? And by the time it's all said and done, his car is completely covered with stuff, and not a panel on that car was not dented, and 35 cows were dead. Imagine that one. One thing I miss about western Kansas is the fact that you can be driving at night and come up on a rise and you can just see these towns around. They're not big towns, most of them, but they light up. You just look around you. and There were times I would, I would be on my way to protection where my, where my sister and my brother-in-law, and I would, just, I would just stop. If there was a place to stop, and just look. And I, I kind of miss that. Now, have that image in your mind as we read these words again. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Guys, there is nothing complicated about this part of Jesus' sermon. There's no need to do these word studies or anything like that. The point is this light is made for one purpose to illuminate, to bring to light those that and the things that are around it. And let me tell you something, the darker the environment, the more important the light becomes and the harsher the contrast between the two. Now, I just got through telling you that there's no need to look at word studies or anything, but I'm a preacher, it's kind of what we do. So I, I kind of looked up light and kind of, I, I ended up trending back to the Old Testament a little bit. And interestingly enough, there's three books in the Old Testament that use light more than the others. And one of them... <laughs> This is kind of puzzling. It's the book of Job. I can't think of a book of the Bible where a guy's in more of a dark place than the book of Job. He lost it all. And yet in that book, you see Job reaching for light, reaching everywhere for light. You see that word again and again. And then you go to the Psalms and you see light. Again, as the psalmists, and many times it's David, talking about God's light and the power of it. And then guess what? You look at where the next book is, where there's a bunch of light, and it's Isaiah. A prophet. Let me tell you something about Isaiah. It is from Isaiah's writings from the Old Testament that we get the majority of what we call messianic prophecy. And the fancy, that's just a fancy way of saying Isaiah Centuries before Jesus entered into this world, wrote about him and his coming. And Jesus came and fulfilled that prophecy. And guess what? In Matthew chapter 4, we get a direct quotation from Isaiah. It's even on my same page here. Look at it. Just, just, just for a second. Matthew chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And it says this, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just starting to go out there. People are just finding out who this man from Galilee is. And this is what it says, the people were sitting in the darkness 
And they saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Understand something, folks. Light of the world, that phrase, there is power. In that description, there is power in that title. When Jesus came into this world, what did he bring? He brought light. He brought light. And that light he bestows on every one of his followers. And he does it for a purpose. What does that mean? This is what that means. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called upon to, by God, To shine. And to shine brightly. And as we look at Jesus' words here, you might ask the question, how? How are we supposed to do that? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. And once again, it's not complicated. Verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, last week, We took a look at good works, but we didn't look at it in Matthew. We looked at it from the book of James, Jesus' half-brother. And last week, we looked closely at the relationship between faith and works and how they're not opposed to one another, how they go together. Matter of fact, Rich Mullins, Chuck, Rich Mullins put it very, very well. If 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 you don't think of someone when I say Rich Mullins, let me tell you this, awesome guy. All right, he wrote it. From Wichita. Anyway, interesting guy. Rich Mullins wrote and composed another song that maybe not quite was well known as as Awesome God, but he was not just a songwriter and and a composer. He was also a outright theologian, I mean, and that came through in his singing. And he had a song that was this, Faith Without Works, it's like a screen door on a submarine. So you see there, when James is talking about that in his letter, the context, the people he's writing to is he's talking about the good works that take place between brothers and sisters. And when you see brothers and sisters in the Bible, vast majority of the time what that's referring to is brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so James is talking about good works amongst your brothers and sisters. You see a brother and sister hungry or in or need of clothing or in all these ways, brother or sister you need to help them. Of course, I'm paraphrasing that just a little bit. When we get to Jesus here, though, here's a little different. Look at it again. Let your light shine before who? Before men. When you see men, put kind after that and change it to man. Mankind before everyone. Let, let your light shine before men, before the world. And as you continue reading through that verse, you see a purpose to it. He doesn't say that without giving the reason why. The purpose is this, to bring glory to God. It's not to bring glory to ourselves. It's not somebody will say, man, he's a good dude. He's always doing stuff for people. Man, no. It's so that they bring glory to God. Now, we're going to set this up kind of in equation form here. So just hang with me because... The Apostle Paul has run-on sentences in his writings. Um, This is a run-on equation, if you will. So you're going to have to hang with me just for a second. The purpose is to bring glory to God. Put a little equal sign beside that. This, 
Good works are for the purpose of being set apart. Meaning, we do good works so that we will look different from people who don't do good works. But that's not the end. There's another equal sign there. For the purpose of gaining favor. Now, not gaining the favor of God. We talked about that last week. By the good works we do, we cannot gain God's favor because our good works are overshadowed by the sin that resides within man. So we do good works, though, to gain favor, but not God's favor, to gain the favor of people. But that's not the end. Put another little equal sign there. For the purpose of influence. Okay? So I do good works so that they will be noticed that I'm living differently so that I might be able to get favor from people in the world so that I might be able to influence them. And then finally, the last equal sign, so that I can influence them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is this. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose. And through that powerful act, our world is changed. And it's through that act that people are saved. Let me ask you this. Who glorifies God best? Now, what you might say is, well, the earth. And, and you would be right. I mean, this morning, when, when that sun came up this morning, it spoke the glory of God. Creation does that. And does it pretty well sometimes. But do you know who glorifies God? Glorifies God best? His people. His people. So what is the point Jesus is getting at here? Let your light Shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to kind of paraphrase that and summarize it in this way. Jesus is saying this, shine your light in such a way that there are heavenly consequences. You see, because after being a light, now it's still two weeks away, JB, but it is followed with, Bring others to salvation in Christ. There's a lot of people in this world who will not listen to your message of Jesus until they know that you care about them. You know, back to Thursday night. It was a good night, wasn't it, hon? It was a good night. She had this deer. It was... It was hanging up. We're taking all care of it and everything, and and I cut myself. And I mean, I mean, I like cut myself. I know it looks like it's not much of a cut. It doesn't look like much of a cut, Zach. It doesn't. It's not like three fingers dangling off your hand like when you cut yourself. All right, but but this hurt. I mean, it was like deep. All right, and man, I've been taking baby aspirin for a few years for my diabetes now. So like I. I bleed like a stuck pig, all right? So there's like blood going everywhere. And so I just wrap a paper towel around it, you know? And I said, Donna, it's all you now. I'll hold the light for you. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose, okay? So anyway, so we got all that done. It was late, and then Donna goes to work on it. Let me tell you something. There, I think Donna might have had more fun going to work on my finger than anything else she did that evening. There's something about a nurse that just loves, like, 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 She's like spreading it apart to get stuff in there, you know, and then she's like, 
toughen up, you know, and uh, so, and she's getting it all done, and Addison, who should have been in bed an hour before, is like, I'm not going to bed because I want to help. She just wanted to see what it looked like. That's what she wanted, so they're working it all and fixing it up, you know, and get the stereo strips on it and all that stuff, and she did a pretty good job. It actually looks pretty good today, but for a while now, since that time, people think I'm like the nicest guy in Montgomery County because I'm driving down the road like this. I mean, I can't, I can't think that's a good thing. It was the first finger, right? Yeah. All right. So, just driving around. Well, that's a nice guy. He's just waving everywhere. He's a nice guy. Look at that nice guy. It's like, don't have a choice, okay? It's nothing to do with nice. Let me tell you something, folks. Being a light is not just being nice. It's not. Do you, do you ever hear that? You ever hear that from mom once upon a time? You're going to spend the night somewhere. Two things. Be good. Be nice. All right? Sometimes they sum it all up with just be good. Okay? I'm telling you something. Shining a light in this world is more than being nice. This world needs more than nice people. You see, shining our light of Christ for Christ is an incredibly intentional way of living. And it affects every part of our life. From the ball field, to the classroom, to the place of work, to the dining room table, you name it. Being intentional about shining the light of our God affects everything about our life. You see, light is not a luxury in this world of darkness. It's a necessity. This world needs the light of Jesus. How else are we going to reach people in the world who don't have a Jesus heritage? Let me explain that just for a moment. There are some of us in this room, and I include myself in it, who are people of incredible privilege. And what I mean is this, we have the privilege of growing up in a home where mom and dad pointed us towards Jesus. There's no greater gift than that. And if you are a young person growing up in a home like that, you thank God for it. If you're an adult now who grew up in a home like that, you thank God for it. But this is the thing. The majority of the people in this world did not grow up in a home like that. They don't have a Jesus heritage. How do they get Jesus? Now you got to remember, working in the background of all this is God. But God works through his people. That's why his own son said, let your light shine before men. Your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. So that they will come and be a part of the family. 
And we have to be intentional about this. This world is a dark place and it needs the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus. 